When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. Listen to that Duquesne whistle blowing, blowing like it's going to sweep my world away. I'm going to stop in Carbondale and keep on going. That Duquesne train going to ride me night and day. You say I'm a gambler, you say I'm a pimp, but I ain't neither one. Listen to that Duquesne whistle blowing, sound like it's on its final run. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host of Freewheeling, Rob Kelly. And this week we are talking about Duquesne Whistle, the opening track from the 2012 album Tempest. And joining me is one of the more recently minted Bob Dylan fans that I'm aware of, Asa Blinn. Hi, Asa. Welcome to the show. Hi, Rob. Thank you for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. This is great to have a chance to talk to you. We've said, I mentioned that you're one of the more recently uh, minted Dylan fans, uh, and I don't, I don't want to make a huge deal out of this but you are how old i'm 21 okay i have bob dylan cds that are older than you so if i turn to dust during this recording don't get freaked out <laughs> the show will my girlfriend will come in and end the recording and she'll post the video or whatever because i'm just feeling feeling very old right now but we're gonna we're gonna get through it together so i have to ask you of course this is your first appearance on the show like how did you become a fan when did all this start well i first memory i have of bob dylan i guess is from that super bowl commercial he did was that five years ago <laughs> <laughs> wow. And I didn't okay. I had no idea who he was, but I just knew that he was the coolest guy in history just from <laughs> the things he was saying. And I kind of put that in the back of my mind. And then later, I, I don't know where I found the singer, Bob Dylan. It was the same person. And then okay. the, the music, you know, I had, I used to work part-time at a record store. Oh, okay. When, when I was really young, like 14, just on the weekends, it was in a flea market. So I had like the times they are changing, blood on the tracks. I had those records, but I would listen to them and they didn't really make sense. Of course, those songs are really heavy hitting. I didn't really become a fan until, I think it was the year I graduated high school. I wanted to go on a road trip and I went by myself and my friends kind of like hanging out with me just before I would, was going to leave. And they were talking about what's some good going away music and they said oh, like a rolling stone <laughs> so i put that whole album highway 61 revisited on my ipod and i took off and that was just all i listened to on that road trip was, wow that sounds cool yeah it was it was amazing i went all the way down to florida back up through nashville so and bob was there. of course i downloaded album after album all along the way so <laughs> that's really how i got into that's that's an that's a really cool way of kind of getting into it that's like a real deep immersion especially driving through the hills of this country all the way down that's uh that's really great that's fantastic i like that that's uh what what was some of your what what was the stuff that really popped to you when you were on your on your way down or way up or whatever well was, uh i just remember playing just like tom thumbs blues over and over again uh, whatever, my favorite song on that album yeah whatever reason it was that that was the one that really stuck with me i think it's just a good driving song it is and and uh you know it takes a lot to laugh at train to cry that song and desolation row because i was always trying to figure out i had all this time you know you're just always most of the day i was just driving and i didn't really know all these characters what they were doing but deciphering all those lyrics were that was the main thing <laughs> That's that's really cool. That's a really neat idea. Did you enjoy the trip? I mean, did did you kind of get out of it what you hoped you were going to get out of it? Oh, uh, that and a lot more because when I got to Florida, I I wasn't really paying attention to my phone. Hurricane Irma was landing. Oh boy. In two days time and I was wondering why all this traffic was coming out of Florida and not going into it. And then my mom called me and asked me if I had seen the news. I said no. So this huge storm was coming kind of like Duquesne Whistle. But I I noticed there's like two 
ways of thinking with Duquesne Whistle. It's either talking about the train line that runs through Pennsylvania where I live, or I guess that's Illinois where those tornadoes happen. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, that's, uh, that's really interesting. You know, Bob Dylan did something similar around 1964. Him and a bunch of his friends got in a car and just drove across country uh, all the way from New York, and they went down through Dallas, and they, poked, they went up through – uh, all these different states that ended up, I think, I forget where they ended I think they stopped finally in California. But I mean, imagine doing that in 1964. First of all, how famous Bob Dylan was at that point, he could just do that for a while. But I mean, imagine doing that in 1964. There's no cell phones, there's no nothing. I mean, you were probably really on your own at that point. And he, imagine being in a backseat with Bob Dylan for like a week straight in a car. What a weird experience that that's got to be. <laughs> I, I can't believe that. I never heard of that. Yep. And yep. I have Chronicles sitting right here, and he doesn't reference that at all. No, he doesn't. <laughs> it's unbelievable. He doesn't mention that. Yeah, I think he wrote a couple of songs while he was while he was driving. So yeah, what oh, a fun. Sure. Yeah, that's. That, I feel like that has to be a movie by itself, like a whole road trip with Bob Dylan. What that's what that has got to be. I got to get to Kate Blanchett back to have her play Bob Dylan again. So well, that's that's really cool. Now, so you have. Uh, you've like, since immersed yourself. Are your are your friends of your similar age any of them fans? Are they familiar with him at all? Or are they like they just kind of look at you like who's this guy? I have one my closest friend. He was a, a major Beatles fan, and I kind of turned him on to, to Dylan. Oh, okay, all right, but that's an easy lift. Yeah, that's his favorite artist. But other than that, everyone maybe they know Hurricane and they like that song. Interesting. But, uh, yeah, I don't really have any people my age that I go to school with that are into him or even know who he is. Wow. Okay. Now you've seen him. You've seen him live. Yes. Where was that? Just recently at the Met in Philadelphia. That was in November. Oh, Hannah, how was that? That's a, I have yet to, even though I live right across the river from Philadelphia, I've yet to see anything at the Met because that's a relatively new place. Uh, in fact, I think, was it Bob Dylan played the first night, the first concert yeah, there? He, they, it was him. That was 2018, and it was uh, the first opening night after a $56, or $56 million <laughs> renovation so i mean the place is beautiful a massive chandelier that that goes back up into the ceiling once the show starts it's it's really great how did you like the show oh i mean for me it was amazing you know you say what you will about bob live now but i just think i remember the most is you know how they have that big building band piece or whatever you would call that before he gets on before the spotlight falls on him right that built up and then the spotlight fell right on him and he was standing there with his guitar he started writing to things have changed i thought that that's gonna stick with me forever (laughs) but i every song i could tell a lot of later stuff but i don't know i remember you talking about uh when I paint my masterpiece, mm-hmm. I don't know if I remember him playing that. I don't know if that was on the, I'm sure that was on the set list, but I remember that one was the one that blew you away. Yeah. Yeah. I did but never I, expect I really, to hear that song. I really liked hearing uh, highway 61 revisited. I think mm-hmm. that was the most, like rocking mm-hmm. song he d- did at that time. Did it hit you the way it did? I mentioned this a long time ago, but I mean, I remember the very first time that I ever saw Bob, uh, which was at uh, a, uh, actually a David Letterman 10th anniversary show back in 1992 for Pete six. And it, it was really, I, I was struck the first, First time I ever it ever happened. Then it pretty much happens every time I see him. Is that I just get this like I mean I know I know mentally obviously he's a person like of course he is. But it's it's another thing to literally be in the same room with him. Like for the first in a, did that strike you for that first time to be like wow I'm literally in the same room with this guy now. This this is not an abstract concept. He's not just a voice on a record. There's the physical guy right there. X number. How close to the stage uh, were you by the way? I wasn't that close. I was on the the second level okay but my seats weren't too bad I, I had a good view of everything going on but yeah i felt i felt exactly the same as you did um you know i was just i've just been watching re-watching videos of him at the march on washington or 
Rolling Thunder review, and that guy has seen so many people come and go. Mm-hmm. And he's still here, you know, almost 60 years after he got his first start, and here I am, 21 years old, watching him. And he's now, he's, of course, he's coming out with a new album of all original stuff. It's just incredible. <laughs> That's really cool. I mean, like Sand, uh, I, I sort of envy you and that this will be, uh, I certainly remember when I first got into Bob, and I've mentioned again before, through, it was through the, the Traveling Wilburys, that like when he started releasing new records post my discovery of him, that was such an exciting moment. Because like, wow, here's something I'm experiencing this the way all the other fans are because this all these other records people are already familiar with. I'm catching up. But now, hey, I'm sort of starting at the same level as everybody else. And now you are you're going to be that with Rough and Ready Ways. Like you're going to be hearing it the first time, just like every other whether you've been listening to Bob Dylan for 60 years or 30 years or 10 years, you're on the same playing ground as everybody else now because this is his first record since you discovered him so i sort of envy you that experience because it's it's a very special thing to be a dylan fan and discover him and realize there's so much out there and then there's like wow now there's something new for me to to get into so that'll i that'll be i i need to check back in with you uh, a couple of weeks after the record comes out to see what you think of it i'm i'm excited for you right well i'm not sure when what your first album was but this i wasn't really conscious of bob dylan when tempest came out right but this, so this will be my first original material Dylan album that I'm going to absorb. But I, I already pre-ordered it on vinyl CD, <laughs> so that's going to come, and I'm just going to—I know I'm going to listen to it over and over again. Yep, yep, yep. I'm really glad that you got to see him at least once before all this craziness hit, because good lord, we don't know how long it's going to be uh, until he can tour again, until any of us are feel comfortable going to a, a concert again. So I'm really glad you got—you were able to get that experience in just before. I mean, obviously nobody knew what was going to happen, uh, but obviously you—you. You, I'm glad you got to see him at least once before there's going to be this probably the longest break in his touring schedule he's had in 30 years. Yeah, me too. I I had no idea that no one had any idea this was coming and that he had shows uh, scheduled for this summer. Yep. I guess canceled them in Japan and one was not too far away from where I live and I was going to I was really excited about going to that and of course they canceled it. Yeah. Oh, but, it's uh, 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 you know, I was watching Rolling Thunder review again last night and just how many shows he's played since 1975 I guess <laughs> it's amazing this will be the longest gap I think since yep. that maybe yeah yep. if not at 1989, I guess that's when the never-ending tour started, right? Yeah, there was a gap in 82 to 83 where he basically didn't play much at all. Uh, that was like the long. That was pretty much the longest gap. And then the, the never-ending tour, you know, no one ever really seems to know when it started. It seems sometimes it's 89, maybe 87. But basically, the whole idea of touring constantly started around 87. So, and then he was touring a lot before then. So, yeah, this is. This will probably, hopefully, this will all end and we'll all feel very comfortable about going back to it. But yeah, this uh, likely this will be the biggest gap he's ever had in his career in a very, very long time. And so, uh, like I said, I'm and I'm really glad just that the shows that he did at the end of this year were so strong. Uh, I, I universally, everyone I know that went to one of them, I did a show with with uh, my pal Henry Bernstein talking about seeing the shows, uh, how good they were. So everybody came out of that end of that tour feeling like, wow, this is great. He's really on on his game here but anyway okay so let's talk about uh duquesne whistle i quoted the opening uh, lines to it initially it continues on it says uh can't you hear that duquesne whistle blowing blowing like the sky's gonna blow apart you're the only thing alive that keeps me going you're like a time bomb in my heart i can hear a sweet voice gently calling must be the mother of our lord listen to that duquesne whistle blowing 
blowing like my woman's on board. So I'm I'm curious to see well, why you wanted to talk about this one. From my view of it, when I listened to it, it was like this is the cheeriest, most jaunty song imaginable about utter destruction. I mean, that's how I took from it, and I, it's that tension of it that I really enjoy. That it's about this tornado coming in and it's going to destroy everything, and we're probably going to meet the we're going to meet the mother of our Lord, and yet the damn thing is so jaunty and upbeat. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to me. Because I always thought he references Carbondale. Of course, there's a Carbondale. I guess Duquesne. Is there a town of Duquesne in, or a city of Duquesne in Illinois? Is that And that's where these tornadoes happened? Yes, I believe so. Yeah, and I guess they happened sometime in the 90s or something. But I always come from the point of view that he's just talking about taking the uh, – the Duquesne train line out to Pittsburgh that runs between New York and, and Pittsburgh. And it, to me, it's almost like uh, tonight I'll be staying here with you, part two. But Interesting. Very- yeah. I never would have made that comparison. Okay, how did you how did you make that comparison? How did you connect those in your head? Because that's one of my favorite songs of his of all time. Just because it's all about he says the mother of our Lord, which could mean you're meeting your end or something like that. But I I think it's he's, it, there's definitely some parts of the song where he talks about being in love or there's some kind of woman he's involved with. Just like tonight, I'll be staying here with you. Mm-hmm. But things are a little bit more crazy than that song from 69 where he's probably head over heels for this woman or whatever. He's throwing his suitcase out the window. It doesn't mm-hmm. care. So I, I guess there's two ways of thinking when it comes to this song. But um, I have a lot more to say about the music video, which... Yeah, well, yeah, we will get to the... <laughs> you, asked, you asked about why I chose this song. Yeah, why did you arrive at this one? Just because I, I thought that there would be enough to talk about with the music video and any, everything. And also this, this album came out in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. Of course, I wasn't really aware of it at the time, but... It's neat. I actually have the the single here. I don't know if it came out for Record Store Day or it was just a prom- promotional single, but it has Duquesne Whistle on the A side, and the B side is a outtake of uh, Meet Me in the Morning, which is kind of strange, but that's the 45 here. So I have that, and I thought that I listen to the song all the time. <laughs> I, it's interesting that you took uh, you you drew the more romantic stuff from it because, like I said, I hear when he's talking. I mean, yes, he's obviously he's talking to this woman. Uh, listen to the Duquesne whistle blowing, blowing like it's going to blow my blues away. You old rascal. I know exactly where you're going. I'll lead yourself. I'll lead you there myself at the break of day. I wake up every morning with that woman in my bed. Everybody's telling me she's gone to my head. Listen to that Duquesne whistle blowing, blowing like it's going to kill me dead. Uh, I mean, again, all the heavy illusions of death. And I mean, that, again, that's how I took it. And again, we will talk about the video too. But I mean, to me, it's like there's just so much heavy heaviness in this. And, and, and yet it's, again, it's like the tune is so light, especially with that opening little instrumental, that jaunty little din, 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 din. like it sounds like a, an old Victrola being cranked up or something like something you would have heard in a parlor in like the turn of the century. Well, in my notes here, have you actually heard the uh, the, the note for note? I guess this is New Orleans like ragtime or jazz song. By yeah, by Jelly, Jelly Roll Morton. Yeah. Yeah. Day it's called. And that's it's almost note for note. Yep. Uh, but I can get to that later what I think of that. But, uh, what do, well, let's talk about it now. What did you think of that when you heard that? When you heard that it is it is really a lift of the, of the tune by Jelly Roll Morton, like you said, it's called Each Day. What did you think of that? That he was sort of borrowing this tune. Well, he even with uh, the the new stuff he's coming out with, um, False Prophet. That's the same thing, and he he's been doing that for a while now. Yes, even, he has. So I just I don't know what to say about that. But I. I because I, I was aware that he did that in other in other songs, so it really didn't throw me off when I first realized that. Does something like that, when you discover that, does it make you go back and listen to the Jelly Roll Morton song? Does it give you – because I will say, uh, again, like I mentioned a couple episodes ago for Nettie Moore, uh, when you go back and you realize, oh, he's borrowing – 
this this whole tune from this other song called Gentle Nettie Moore. And you go back and I go back and listen to this stuff that I'd never heard before. Do you go back and listen to the whole what I mean, what do you think of the Jelly Roll Morton song? I mean, that's got to be something you know, most people are not familiar with other than diehard musicologists. Right. I had no idea who he was, but I always enjoy that music. But it does make me go back and listen to it. And I, I do enjoy that music. It's it's strange that. He knows, I guess he's, well, he's 70, almost 70, he's 79 years old, right? He, yes, he just turned 79. So he, but even that, even then as a kid in the, in the 50s, I don't know how he would come across these, these records that are from the 20s and 30s. And Maybe they, at yard sales, who knows where he got them. But <laughs> he, he, they're really deep in his soul, these old timey songs. I, I guess in, um, is it No Direction Home? He talks about opening up the record player at that house he moved into in Duluth, maybe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That uh, there's that there's that 78 on the on the record player that he listened to. It felt like it brought him to or made him feel like he was a different person or something. Yes, that's uh, that's amazing. I, I think that's he loves these songs so much, and that's why he kind of sheds light on them and, and gives them a new life. Yeah, I mean, you got to figure the guy was born in 1941, so you got to you got to assume that the records that were laying around the house are from his parents' vintage, which means they were from the 20s and the 30s. Right. Uh, so, I mean, he had access to all this stuff. And then, you know, you mentioned No Direction Home. There's that great story where he talked about he ran across some friend of his that had a, an amazing record collection, and Bob decided to uh, lift a few records. Yeah. <laughs> he was not, for a tiny little guy, he was not shy about the, kind of doing what he wanted, and he almost got beaten up over it. So, yeah, the, the guy is just a sponge for this stuff. But I, I do appreciate when... Um, that you find that, oh, it is a, it's a lift of a Jelly Roll Morton song. Oh, I can go back and listen to, now I'm familiar with, I mean, I'd heard of Jelly Roll Morton before this, but I didn't really know any of the music. And now I'm familiar with something. Okay, thanks, Bob. He's, again, he's like a really cool music instructor, but he's doing it in a different way and then he's breathing new life into it and he's putting it on a record that is going to be heard by millions of people. No, millions of people are not listening to Jelly Roll Morton right now and he's right. going back and he's instructing you if you want to dig deep, which is really cool. Yeah, I think that's just great. I love all and that ties into the, the music video too i think in a way <laughs> all right I, well i said i gotta get to that because yeah i have a uh, that, that music video uh so the song continues on and he ends with uh, can't you hear that duquesne whistle blowing blowing through another no good town the lights of my native land are glowing i wonder if they'll know me next time round. i wonder if that old oak tree still standing that old oak tree the one we used to climb Listen to that Duquesne whistle blowing, blowing like she's blowing right on time. And like I said, I took it as that this tornado is coming and it's going to destroy the town. It's going to kill most people in it. The line about uh, the lights of my native land are glowing. I wonder if they'll know me next time around. I always I took it as it's kind of like a reincarnation thing. Like this this guy, whoever the person is that's singing, they're pro- they're, they're they're approaching the end of their life because this te- this this tornado is going to come and destroy everything. And I'm going to come back to my ancestral home. Maybe the new, you know, when I'm reincarnated, I'm going to go back. I wonder if that old oak tree is still standing, the one we used to climb. That's how I took it. I mean, it's kind of heavy, but again, that's what I get from it. Even with all the romantic stuff in it, I just, there's so much, it just seems there's so much implied destruction here uh, that that's always how I, uh, that that was my read from it. And I mean, the name of the album is Tempest. Now, of course, the, yeah. there's a song called Tempest, but Tempest is a storm and here you've got an right at the opening song you've got this storm blowing through the town now i'd want to ask you about the the duquesne whistle the train have you ever taken a train anywhere not that train you've not taken oh, you haven't uh, been on that one okay no but it's interesting because it does stop in carbondale pennsylvania mm-hmm. which is between uh new york and pittsburgh so it's it's maybe he's ju- juggling both of these things at once i don't know but you're you have excellent points about the 
the oak tree and all that. So I, I, I guess he, it could be about both. I don't know. I'm but, sure yeah. it, it's, it is about whatever anybody wants for it to be about. That's I'm the beauty sure of it. Whenever he was writing this song, he was just had the newspaper in front of him, and that is just what he was writing. And then he just tied in these other things that has to be what he was doing or something like that. I don't know if he, if he surfs the web. <laughs> Can you imagine that? <laughs> That'd be great. Bob's on Amazon ordering stuff, you know. He's yeah. <laughs> he's like, oh, good, this Blu-ray came out. Let me order this. Uh, you, funny, you mentioned him writing it, and I thought there was something that I don't think I'd noticed before, or if I did when the record came out, I forgot about it. But this song is the only song on Tempest that is co-written. Uh, he co-wrote this with Robert Hunter, the late right. lyricist from The Grateful Dead. Now, of course, Robert Hunter uh, co-wrote with Bob virtually all the songs on the previous record, Together Through Life, which made me think, I wonder if Duquesne Whistle isn't a leftover from Together Through Life. Mm. Now, of course, he worked with Robert Hunter his whole life, and so d d just because they worked together on uh, the 2009 record, and then this one came out three years later, that he couldn't have done it later. But that has happened before. Mississippi was a song that was left over from Time Out of Mind, and it made it on to Love and Theft. So uh, Mr. Tambourine Man was originally recorded for another uh, another side of Bob Dylan and was left over and put on Bringing It All Back Home. So that's this has happened before. But it, it made me – it just made me think, huh. This because at the when I was looking at the lyrics and you know you see that little copyright and it's Special Rider Music which is Dylan's label uh, or Dylan's publishing company and then it said Special Rider Music and Ice Nine Publishing and I was like who's Ice Nine Publishing well that's Robert Hunter's songwriting publishing venture so and then I looked up and said oh he co wrote with so I wonder is this left over from Together Through Life I could have I could see it on there. Uh, thematically and sort of, I mean, obviously the production would be a little different, but I could have seen it on Together Through Life as well because there's a lot of old-timey stuff on there. That, there's, yeah. a lot, there's a lot of old-timey stuff on all of his records at this point. But it wouldn't shock me if this was a, a Together Through Life uh, you know, outtake or something and then redone for, for Temp. Yeah, I think that's a great observation, especially because of the source of the, the song, yeah. which is you know that New Orleans kind of sound which he was doing on that album. Right. So the, it's very possible. And I, everybody thought that uh, Murder Most Foul was a leftover, and it right. doesn't seem that way. Doesn't seem to be. No, no, but no, no. Never know with him. But yeah, I have the uh, the complete Dylan lyric book here, and it does say Robert Hunter, which I, I knew that. I, I, I don't know anything about him. What did you say he, he was? He was the, the Grateful Dead lyricist. He wrote many of the great Grateful Dead songs with along oh, with wow. Jerry Garcia. And he only paid, passed away just last year. Uh, okay. Which is one of the reasons I did that episode on uh, If You Ever Go to Houston, because that's my favorite song off of Together Through Life. And he, Bob co-wrote it with Robert Hunter. He wrote a lot of songs. A lot of the songs on uh, the original songs on 1988 Down on the Groove album are rewritten with Robert Hunter. So Bob's collaborated with Robert Hunter for many years. They were great friends. And this is, I guess, this is probably the last of their collaborations. I, who knows what's lying around? Um, right. But but as far as I know, this is the last thing that's going to appear on her, unless there's some stuff on Rough and Rowdy Ways we don't know about. Um, but we'll know. Or again, time time is time is all out of joint here. We, you will all know by the time you're hearing this. But Asa and I don't know at the time we're recording this. Um, but yeah, I it said it might be something that that he had. Laying around, like laying around, that's got got a pejorative sense to it. Um, I did want to. I asked you about taking trains because I have taken trains. I took a train to Boston once. I took a train out to Ohio. There is such a romantic allure 
to being on a train. It's kind of amazing. I mean, it, it, I will say some of the experiences I've had on trains have not been terribly pleasant, like very crowded or whatever, but it has that romantic allure. And like I mentioned to you earlier about Bob taking a, um, a trip across country, he's taken train trips where he's gone and written songs. Supposedly some of John Wesley Harding was written on a train. And like, again, so Bob is loves trains. He loves train illusions. He loves them metaphorical. He loves them literal. He loves having trains in his song. So this is, you know, right in there with a lot of his other great train songs. Oh, yeah. He, the train imagery, just like Johnny Cash is all over his music, even yeah. on the, the notes of um, Highway 61 or Visit. It, was, it starts with slow, the slow train is coming or something. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, it, that, the song slow train come in. And, yeah. yeah, it takes a lot to laugh. It takes a train to cry. I yeah, mean, there's all, just trains. The- trains are all over the place on, on his records. They, um, they just have- some of his best too yeah absolutely so so yeah you mentioned earlier there is a video to this song it's one of the few videos that bob still bothers to do anymore i don't i don't even know why they make videos really i don't know i mean they're on youtube i guess but i mean uh it'll be interesting to know if there's going to be one for rough and ready ways i kind of doubt it considering what's going on but the video uh for this song directed by nash edgerton who also directed uh, his previous video for Beyond Here Lies Nothing for Together Through Life. Uh, By the way, Nash Edgerton is the brother of actor Joel Edgerton, who appears in this video as one of the goons that beats up the guy. Uh, he's the guy who grabs the baseball bat and beats up uh, beats up the our, our our hero, as it were. Um, so this video, for anyone who hasn't seen it, you can go to YouTube. It's on Bob Dylan's video Vivo channel. It's basically a guy who has fallen in love with this girl, or he's obsessed. With, I shouldn't say fallen in love. He's obsessed with this girl who he sees from afar. He tries to romance her. He follows her around. She's clearly not interested at all. He steals a rose. He actually steals multiple roses different days. And this girl's not interested, and he runs afoul of the cops by stealing the rose. He gets thrown in jail. And then at one point, uh, to escape the cops, he knocks over a guy on a ladder who was, like, putting up a sign. He heard That guy gets hurt. That guy clearly has mob friends. And at some point, him and his buddies grab the guy, bring him back to some sort of, like, safe house, beat the crap out of him with baseball bats, and then throw him on the street just at the same moment that Bob is who we see in the video. Bob is in the video walking around the streets of presumably Los Angeles with this weird amalgamation of people. There's a guy carrying a guitar case. There's a guy dressed as Gene Simmons. There's an Asian woman in like a, a, a white wig walking around. And just at the moment that this guy gets thrown out of the van, Bob and his crew are walking by and they step over him as he's laying there, bloodied and bruised. So I am fascinated to find out what, what you think of this video because I can't make heads or tails of it in terms of how it connects up to this song. Well, it's actually just about uh, 10 minutes before I got on the phone with you. I was re-watching that. And, you know, a lot of people, they, they make really reaching observations. But I, when I see the young the young man, I don't know who wrote this music video, who anything about that. But I'm guessing it was Nash Edgerton because he did Bob's previous video. I would imagine. I mean, and that video has a lot of violence. So Nash Edgerton... When he's at least when he's doing these Bob Dylan videos, there's a lot of violence. I don't, I don't, yeah. I there. It's the the one in uh, for Beyond Here's Like Nothing is a, is a uh, man and a woman beating the shit out of each other in his yeah. apartment, and it ends with her kissing him, which is like a weird thing. But uh, yeah, I I mean, obviously, by the fact that Bob is literally in this video, he's not in the one for Beyond Here Lies Nothing, but he bothered to show up. He must have approved the concept right. for this thing. But again, I'm I'm at a loss to explain how it connects up to the song at all. So the whole reason why this young man gets in trouble is because he steals this rose. Right. And I kind of find that 
symbolic of Dylan taking these old-timey songs and reworking them into his own. And then, he, and of course, he uses that to impress other people, just like this the young man tries to impress this girl in in the in the shot. And also, he if you watch Bob when he first in the first few seconds of the film, he has his hands in his pockets, right? And he's kind of strutting just like the other guy is. So I think that might it might try to symbolize Bob when he was younger. Hmm. Not really sure about that. And then I think that those that those care all those characters that his posse is gang that he's walking with those might be um, other faces of Dylan, his other personalities. Which you know, what's that that famous quote where uh, the, the director asked Bob Dylan to be himself, and he said, "Which one?" <laughs> so you know, that's that's how I take it. I don't know if that that's pretty reaching. I would think for most people, but uh, that's how I see it. I don't know if if whoever. I forget the name of the guy you said who did this music video. If he Nash is Edgerton. A, a Dylan fan, I'm not sure. But if I was directing this music video, that's how I would have um, portrayed it. That's uh, okay. I mean, the, I, I okay. Before we get to that, let me ask you: like, how would, how do you, in your mind do you connect up the whole the, the thrust of the storyline, which is the guy trying to impress the girl who clearly is not interested in him at all? I mean, she's she's just completely giving him the cold shoulder, and the only time we see her respond to him is in a dream where he's in the back of the van and he's hallucinating and he's giving her the rose and then she's Trump. We find out that it's all a dream. How in your mind, how does that, how does that match up to the song that you're listening to? It doesn't really. Okay. The, <laughs> the, the music video is so much different than any message that the song has in the lyrics. side. It's, it's like they're trying to make a whole new song. The, this, the music video does not match. It's like they're mismatched. Some other song is out there that Bob wrote that should be here. Not this one. Interesting. Okay, I like the heavy and violence. Yeah, I like the idea of the Bob's posse being versions of him. That's a cool idea. I hadn't really thought about that at all, Uh, but I like that because obviously, if you if you again if you want to reach, but there's there's no such thing as reaching. It is what it is to you. The the Gene Simmons guy, the guy dressed as Gene Simmons. I mean, that could be the Bob, the Rolling Thunder Review Bob, where he was dressed up with he had face paint on for pizza. So I like that idea a lot. That's really cool. That's a I, I I'm I'm on I'm on board with that I'm I'm on board with that idea, Asa. Great, yeah, that's that's uh, cool. It just uh, I'm glad I I watched that video or I never never would have saw those things. Yeah, it's, a, <laughs> it's I'm always I'm always amazed like what that's got to be like to do a Bob Dylan video shoot, you know? And I mean, obviously he doesn't sing the song. He's in fact he doesn't do anything other than walk. Uh, just around the streets of Los Angeles. Again, I presumably it's Los Angeles, uh, and and that's you know like that's all that's all he's kind of maybe going to do at this point. He still he still will do a video. I mean, he did a video for the night they called it a day. Uh, so I mean, so he will do, and that there's more to that. It actually has an old timey story, and he actually does more in that one. So he will occasionally still you know bother show up for a video. It's sort of fascinating these things, and I, I I'm curious as to. Nash Edgerton's connection to Bob. Obviously, Bob likes him because he's, he's directed multiple videos for him. I mean, like I said, the song just does sit right on top of the video. And I know that in the you know, there are a lot of music videos where they admit up, they admit, they admit straight up the people that made them. The song doesn't really have any connection to the to the video. The video is its own separate thing. The video yeah. is just his own separate story. So maybe that is in this case that they're just – they wanted Duquesne Whistle to be this, quote-unquote, the single off of this record. And they wanted to make a video for it, but they're just like, well, they're just two separate things and they're just slammed together. Right. And you kind of see that theme with even the Rolling Thunder Review, quote, documentary. That <laughs> it, nothing is as it seems. So That's I true. Nothing is out of the possibility 
when it comes to Bob Dylan and his music videos and music. That, well, that's yeah, that is absolutely true. Uh, Live-wise, this song has been performed 350 times between 2013 and 2018. So not that's not too bad, actually, in terms of the number. It's a good, jaunty song. Uh, I saw it once uh, when I saw him at the Man Theater in 2016. He played it there when I, me and my pal Dan Eaker went to see him. So he played it then. So it's, it's a song that, you know, was definitely part of the repertoire. He didn't play it at all last year um but uh but but i mean it's something that he obviously it's an upbeat song it's a good song to play in concert so it's it's probably something that will return once he gets back to live performing yeah i i'm disappointed that i'm not disappointed but i would have liked to have seen him do that song because it's one of my favorite of his of his later works but yeah that would have been great to see but i think um maybe false prophet will take its place on the road who knows Mm. Because they're both, that's a much more rocking song than this one. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, this is kind of that song that he can still pull out, and he doesn't have to change the, the style of it too much. Mm-hmm. It's not same on the record as it is live. So. Yeah, yeah. When it, you, when you saw him do perform it, what, did you figure out the same thing that it's pretty much the same as the record? Yeah, it was pretty close. It was pretty. The, the arrangement was pretty much the same. He didn't, and he even from from memory serves, he even kind of did the little intro. They even did the little. Like it didn't. I from again. I'd have to go back and maybe find a, like a YouTube video of it. I don't re- recall that little intro being as long as it is on the record. On the record, it goes on for a little sure. bit. But I re- I seem to remember that the band started playing, and we were like, oh, we know what it's going to be now because it's going to be two K whistle. So yeah, it was. It's again. It's it's fun to hear. Uh, I mean, he's been playing stuff off of Tempest. Uh, Paying Blood and things like that. There's songs that are, yeah, I think that uh, the songs of Tempest are going to be in the repertoire for for quite a while. And again, he's got to work in the the new stuff with all the covers that he was doing. Seem to be have been sort of uh, grandfathered out of the of the tour set at this point. So yeah, it's a really fun song. It's a great way to open the record. It's one of I'd say one of his better openers because it just has that you know that immediate that jazzy beat when you open up to it. You're like, oh yeah, this is fun to listen to and. Again, his vocal is great. It's very, very scratchy. I mean, I just, I again, love the way he just has that. That he seems to kind of be able to record himself in a way where sometimes his voice is a little smoother. Like the yeah. voice, the vocal on "Murder Most Foul" is kind of deeper and it's much smoother. This one is much more raggedy. Uh, when he sings, "It must be the mother of our Lord," it must be the mother of our Lord. Like yeah, he's really it, it scratchy, like Louis Armstrong. Or something. Yes, yes. Oh, I like that. <laughs> now, since since you are well immersed in these Dylan circle, circles much more than I am, uh I don't know if you have noticed this on the recording itself, but there's kind of like a fuzz in the beginning. Do you notice that? A little bit, yeah. Yep. Right. So I was I when I first played that, I thought there was something wrong with my speakers. Maybe one of the <laughs> bass tones broke. But I, I was listening to that sound, and I realized that sometimes I play music with my friends in the drum kit, and we have electric guitars and everything. And if, if you're in a room and it's not really well set up for sound, the bass of a drum will rattle in that same kind of sound if you're playing with an amplifier and electric guitar. The, the sound will make that bass drum rattle unintentionally. And that's exactly what that sound is. Oh, wow. I'm wondering if they did that on purpose, if they did that on accident, they just left it out because it's so faint. But that's that's exactly what that is, that, that buzzing noise. That's it. I had no idea. I said I'm not a musician, so I didn't know that at all. Yeah, I, I scoured the Internet for anything, any comments on that, but I couldn't find it. So maybe if someone is out there and they hear that, they can they can agree or confirm that. Oh, that's really cool. I didn't know. That's great. I love that's a great observation. I had no idea. Have you ever you said you've, you've played music. Have you ever tried to play any Bob songs? Oh, yeah. We, we record mostly 
like uh, I know I we do knocking on heaven's door and we have you ain't going nowhere. We do those two. Oh, that's cool. That's great. <laughs> yeah, pretty fun. That's yeah. That sounds. I would be. That would be. I would say if I ever could learn how to play guitar, I would. I'd be doing nothing but Dylan songs. That's fantastic. That's great. I love that you mentioned that. I didn't. I had no idea. But yeah, I did hear that. That slight little like just that little sound. I'm like, oh, what's that? But again, Bob loves that kind of. I think he wants to get that feeling. That almost sort of distressed sound. Uh, right. kind of where it just has like something you would hear by putting down a needle on an old Victrola kind of, I mean, all his record labels, when you buy them on vinyl, they have that old timey label on them now. I mean, he's definitely going for that aesthetic. Yeah. I think, uh, I, I looked at some of the pictures on Amazon of rough and rowdy ways they have, who are those, there's those characters on, are, they, are they some kind of gangsters or something? It's the Carter family. Carter. It's the, uh, yeah, it's the Carter family and they, they are dressed like they do look like gangsters, but that's the, that's who they are in there. So yeah, he's. He loves all that kind of stuff. There, I, you know, I don't know if I even believe we're getting off Duquesne whistle, but who cares? Uh, I, I don't know if I believe in the concept of a dream job because to me it's like all jobs are jobs, and you know I'd rather just not have a job. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. if, if there is such a thing as a dream job, I would imagine working for I don't know if you're working for Bob Bob's company directly or you're working for Sony Music, but the person who has to go through. All this old timey stuff oh. to find the stuff for Bob Dylan's record label, record uh, sleeves. That to me seems like a great job. Yeah, that would be something. <laughs> I, I wonder if he has a collection himself of because he is I, someone that I met that said they got an autograph from Bob. Said that if you have an autograph of someone, he will trade it for his. <laughs> so he's just a collector of all kinds of old timey pictures. I've never heard that before. Yeah. How did they? Can you t- can you recall who? How did they meet this? How did they meet Bob? I, what, so what I, I hang out at a record store, Double Decker Records in Allentown, and of course, this guy that always comes in, we call him Beetle Bob, but he also is a huge Bob Dylan fan. And I, I got to talking to him about Bob one time, and he said, "Yeah, I met him. I forget he was at a hotel after a show. He waited for him in the '90s sometime, right after he had that heart problem. Yep. So he he did sign, but he was he was only signing copies of Chronicles. He okay. wouldn't sign anything. He said he would sign them upside down." Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Whatever he, however he was, he was chatting with Bob. Of course, he said he thought he would be much taller, and he said that Dylan is an autograph collector. And he says some he's, that Bob told him sometimes he'll if someone wants to trade an autograph or hit like the only way he'll do it is if they trade him. I wonder well, what autographs Bob Dylan would want in exchange for his. That's, that's what I was wondering too. Like, who couldn't he have just got an autograph from back in the day? It would be strange. Like, who who would. Who would Bob Dylan idolize just as much as you and I idolize him? I don't know. I don't know. It's either going to be, I'm my hunch would be, it would either be obviously certain musicians or it would be very odd marginal figures from the culture that you wouldn't expect. You know, it would be some like game show host from 1965 that nobody remembers. And to, to you right. know, to Bob, he would want that. I could see Bob being into that kind of thing, like just some well, weird I... figures that you wouldn't be like, well, wait a minute, they, you know, on the on the on the antiques roadshow market, the 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 autograph of Monty Hall from uh, from uh, Let's Make a Deal, his signature is not worth Bob Dylan's, but to Bob Dylan, I bet he wants it. I bet Bob has probably got that weird taste. Like to him, those are those are worth trading. That's a funny idea. And the other thing is, who would just have those laying around? And yeah. Know that- on it so that's I, that's why i think he just says that to throw people off maybe so it was funny it's almost like uh, they had body doubles of bob there are all these people in hoodies around the door at the met behind there <laughs> <laughs> it was a, it was an overcast cold day so i don't know if any of them were bob and none of them were bob <laughs> it's, it's, it's such a it's strange thing when you go see a, see a bob 
a show. Oh God, that is yeah, that's funny. Oh, again, I, lo- I just now I'm in love with this idea that Bob will trade his autograph for someone else's. That's weird. Uh, that's, that's just what a- I heard. I really forget exactly how he said it went down, but it was something like that. He met him at a hotel and just had this short conversation with him. Oh, that's funny. All right, well, that's cool. So, well, well, Asa, thank you so much for for doing this. I really appreciate. it. I love knowing that. You know, Bob has got fans of just all ages, all over the place. And that's great that he's got new fans and someone like you who, once you discover it, you immerse yourself in it. And again, that trip driving all, you know, through the length of the the East Coast of the country and listening to all those Dylan records, that just sounds like a fascinating way to do it. And I really appreciate you reaching out uh, and wanting to do the show and and talking about uh, Duquesne Whistle. So again, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you very much for having me. This is my first podcast ever. Hopefully my second is right back where I started. (laughs) Okay. Well, have said, I will check back in with you to find out what you thought about the rough and rowdy way. So thank you again. Thank you so much for doing it. Uh, Again, thank you for listening to this show. If you want to subscribe to this podcast, you can go to, of course, uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify, and all our back episodes are on our website, finewaterpodcast.com. We're always talking Bob over on Twitter at pod underscore Dylan. And finally, if you want to support the Fire and Water Podcast Network, you can go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast, and there you can unlock various rewards, one of which is to be name-checked on a show of your choice. So big thanks to Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, and another supporter who remain masked and anonymous for their donations and supporting Pod Dylan. So that's going to do it for this episode. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will see you later. Bye. That Duquesne whistle blowing Blowing like it's gonna sweep my world away I'm gonna stop in Carbondale And keep on going That Duquesne train gonna ride me night and day You say I'm a gambler You say I'm a pimp But I ain't neither one Listen to that Duquesne whistle blowing Sound like it's on a final part 